is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Cavaliers. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. As always, I'm Chris Manning from FearTheSword.com. Today, a big, big pack show. As I promised, we're going to get insights on both the Wizards and Celtics series. First up, you'll hear from Bobby Manning, a writer for Celtics blog and the host of the Bobcast about the Celtics and what's gone right for them and, and a whole bunch more. And then you'll hear from Michael Sykes, front of the pod, Michael Sykes from Bullets Forever, in my mind on sports about the Wizards. That, that game six takes place Friday. The Cavs could know their opponent very early on Friday evening, so that's pretty exciting. We'll finally get that and, and see what's next for the Cavaliers. And then, uh, just as a fun little end-of-the-week thing, you'll have a conversation with myself and Eric Jackman, a.k.a. New York Rick, a big Cavs fan, and he's from the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani on MMAfighting.com, part of the SB Nation Vox Media family. Enjoy our talking about Kyrie why he wants to name his first son Kyrie, the Cavs' title change, so just shooting the shit with a Cavs fan and just wanted to end the week on that while we have some time in between series. So, big pod today, Bobby Manning, Michael Sykes, New York Rick, hope you guys enjoy, talk to you again on Monday, get those mailbag questions in for Monday's pod, talk to you again on after the weekend, and we'll see my Monday, one way or the other, who the Cavs are going to play next. So joining me on the other line now is Bobby Manning. We're not related, same last name. Uh, he's a writer for Celtics blog. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe somehow. Yeah, maybe like we got some like weird, crazy family connection. He's also a host of the Bobcast. Bobby, what's going on, man? Oh, I'm going good, living life right now. Celtics are up. Always a good thing. Trying to prove some of the doubters wrong. Yeah, so, Game Five was uh, a very decisive win for the Celtics. A very uh, a game I didn't really see it playing out that way. We we haven't really had a close game in this series, but what do you think the difference was for Boston in that game? I think the big difference was that they went to Al Horford for the distribution. It's been talked about a lot now, all that ball pressure on Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, at a certain point, it just got so intense, so overwhelming that it turned into a lot of turnovers on the Washington side. And as you know yourself, Washington thrives off those turnovers and the live balls, uh, getting out in transition. So limiting that 
by getting Isaiah off the ball. They were running some pick and rolls with Isaiah Thomas setting the screens for Horford. It was it was astounding to see the how advanced this offense just keeps getting. But um, Horford can't say enough about the impact he's had on this team this uh, postseason. Top three in win shares now. Uh, his assist to turnover ratio is absurd. It's 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 marvelous watching him play. He he's he's the kind of guy I want to play with. Like when I'm out there balling myself. Yeah, the the uh, the Horford running the pick and roll with Isaiah setting the screen, I thought was a really really smart thing for Brad Stevens to try to do because I think one of the things the Cavs would do if these two teams do end up playing is they would trap Isaiah. They would they would the blitz Isaiah. And of course Isaiah is so fast. He's he's been incredible this year. He's going to get through a lot of those. But when you don't have like the Cavs, I don't think are very concerned about Avery Bradley off the dribble. They're not concerned about Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Horford's a guy if he's creating and he, you get him used in different ways, especially if he's a, depending on who's guarding him. That's a really I think it gives Boston another dimension. Like I don't know how much it ultimately would sway the series, but I think it makes the Cavs' job as a defense in theory if these teams do play a bit harder. It makes it very hard just because of how intense the pick and roll is and. You know, I talk a lot about Kevin Love's defense. It's it's uh, something to behold. I'll just say that. <laughs> and of course, Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson's fantastic. I have a lot of respect for his game, his pick and roll defense. But um, I think the one thing you can say about the Cavs is the defense is sometimes questionable. And if you can attack them in the pick and roll, it's gonna be it's gonna be the way the Celtics find a way to compete in that because defensively, it's gonna be tough. It's going to be really tough against the Cavs. And, of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves yet, but um, we all know that the road teams are 0-10 now in defending that uh, elimination game. So I feel pretty good about them closing out the series. And, um, yeah, those those Isaiah traps, it's it's reached like a new level. You go back and watch some of the film from the game three and game four, they were pretty much just pushing them out of bounds and trying to completely keep them off the ball. It's It's – the amount of respect defenses are given to a five-seven point guard—it's you'd never imagine in a million years. Yeah, I mean, but he deserves it. I mean, I think he's had just like an incredible year. He's been, uh, like, I mean, he's been the best. I think the Cavs. I mean, you saw it. I think from when the the two teams played—not the—I think it was, I don't know if it was the last time or the second last time, but the one where the Cavs won basically because LeBron had that huge second quarter. That first, I remember that first play specifically because, and he has—he's not playing as much now, but. They were in a Isaiah Amir Johnson pick and roll, and they just mm-hmm. just said, "Okay, we're gonna like dare you to throw the ball to Amir Johnson." It's hard to do that when it's Horford, and Isaiah's a good screener, and he's I thought he did a great job, like setting those screens for Horford, and, and it puts Kyrie, it puts Tristan Thompson, it puts Kevin Love, uh, interesting in interesting positions, and I the and the, the one thing you can LeBron say too, to Rome too. The one thing you can say about Isaiah too is he's small, but he's strong. Yes, and what I see a lot of guys do when they're attacking him defensively is back him down. That's not the way you attack him defensively. And John Wall's learned that himself, too. He's tough to back down. He's tough to move, even though he's a little smaller. you got to face him up. you got to trap him in the pick and roll if you're going to attack him defensively. Those are the ways you get to him because he doesn't move the greatest defensively. But if you try to back him down, it's not going to be as easy as it looks. Yeah. So, Boston, what, how do you think they've performed so far in the playoffs? I mean, the the Bulls series it is what it was. They they've pl- they've obviously had some really great performances against Boston. Isaiah was incredible um, in Game Two. But how, what do you make of how they've played so far? Was this the team you were expecting to see? Um, it's what I've expected, but in a different way. They've kind of reinvented themselves this postseason because the biggest question 
through the whole regular season was how are they going to get people involved outside of Isaiah? It kind of becomes the Isaiah show a lot of the time. So everyone's just watching him do his amazing things. He's running all the plays himself. He's scoring in the 40s and the 50s. We've seen it all from him this year. But it feels like everyone's involved. Everyone's engaged this postseason. We've seen Gerald Green come from sipping hot chocolate on the, the end of the bench to becoming a valuable starter in that first round. Terry Roger, who had a horrendous regular season. I feel like he even regressed from his rookie season. He's been astounding. He's playing the best basketball of his career this postseason. He's really been the X factor to the team. Going into the playoffs, I asked who's going to be that 2012 Brandon Bass who just goes way above the level they played in the regular season and gives them some big performances. He's been hitting threes off the ball. He's been moving so well off the ball in general. Gives them some very up-tempo, intense defense. Uh, he's and his rebounding you can't say enough about his rebounding so the guys like him coming off the bench giving them contributions outside Isaiah I thought Kelly Olynyk's been strong at points um, Amir Johnson up and downs but overall he's been pretty solid in terms of his energy Jay Crowder's had some huge games Avery Bradley game of his life in game five there it, Keith Smith said it well you would have never imagined him scoring 25 points in a series back when he first started, never mind in a half. So the whole team being engaged, being ready to go. And a lot of people talked with this team, you know, they got to shorten the bench. They got to go with five, six, seven guys. They've really found their strength in being deep and pulling nine, ten guys off the bench and using the unique skill sets they have there. So it's been surprising to see but it's uh, been very pleasant to see how big of a team effort it's been so far with them. What are you um, expecting in Game 6? I'm expecting them to try to continue to find that formula for success against Washington, keeping the turnovers down, um, not avoiding letting Washington get out on that fast break, because when it comes to Washington at this point, what I've really seen out of them is that they're a team that can give the game away with turnovers themselves. They're trying to play so fast. They're trying to run so hard that they really do leave the ball out there for these defenders Boston has out on the perimeter. And they've they've turned it over in pretty much all five games so far. The difference has been when Boston's got up there with them in the uh, 15 to 20 range for turnovers. So Washington wants to play that turnover game have the turnovers going both ways. I think the guy you really got to look at with the ball in his hands a lot of the time is Marcus Smart. He's had some horrendous games in terms of turnovers. You've got to control the ball. And I think Horford helps so much with that. It's You never, ever see him get more than one, two in a game. It's amazing how you can run the offense with him. And it still blows my mind how hard Celtics fans were on him early in the season because he's been a revelation for this team. Uh, just the amount of distributors they have outside of Thomas. I mean, they have three, four, maybe even five guys who can control the ball at any given moment. So you got to really control that ball, keep it out of Washington's hands in transition, because as we've seen, they can break off a 20 nothing run like nothing. Yeah, the 26-0 run uh, was a game four. It was just, like, dizzying. Like, that was, like, the best we've really <laughs> yeah. probably seen Washington, and Wall was just... Like the the fun part about these playoffs, like we had we had the Kyrie in Game Four against uh, against Toronto where he was really good. You had you had that wall run. You've had a, that as a game where him him and the Wall were dealing, which is probably for me the most fun game of the playoffs so far. Maybe I mean there's probably a couple in the West that were like very good as well, but that to me was one of the most fun games we've had. Lowry's like really the only guy in the East because he got hurt and, and just 
never seemed like himself. We haven't seen that, but you've had three of the these three point guards that are all very good, all good in different ways that all have you, know, you could debate them endlessly, right? Like, the, but they just all have had these moments where they've been great, and it's been really fun to see. And I, I kind of think either way with how this turns out, um, and it sort of feels like Boston probably gets this done in seven just because of the home court advantage. Like, it just feels like we're going to get something fun one another. Like, it wouldn't shock me if next round, like, game three or something like that is a Kyrie-Isaiah duel. Oh, absolutely. You'd love to see You'd love to see them going at each other. And we're, we're really spoiled with the amount of sensational point guards we have today. You almost feel bad for those teams like Philadelphia that really can't get involved in that right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's brutal if you don't have, like, one of them because there's, like, eight And you know what's crazy, too? Yeah, is that 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 crazy trade deadline a couple of years back with all those point guards moving every which way? I I still remember that I thought Philadelphia got Thomas and all the whirlwind of those trades, and I think they actually could have. I'm not sure what the reports were exactly, but I think if they wanted Thomas in that deal, they could have had him. And they they must just be biting themselves so hard. And I still can't believe that Boston stepped in and got him for what they did. One of the biggest steals in trade history, it feels like. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, it's crazy how, like, the Isaiah thing from that summer and the LeBron uh, cap space thing, they're all sort of, like, related. Um, SB Nation yeah. is, like, a really great piece of how those two trades are sort of, uh, like, intertwined and, like, they're, it's just how these two teams are set up. Um, I mean, just, you look at you look ahead to Eastern Conference Finals, you don't want to get too far ahead. I, I will say this, I think from being around the Cavs and just hearing how they talk about stuff and just how they've played Toronto, I'm not sure how much they view Boston as a team that can push them. Um, I do think like they do feel like they have an advantage in that series, and I, and I frankly think they they would be the favorites even if Boston has the the home court advantage. What are, you look at the Celtics? What do you think they would have to do against Cleveland, and where would they have to get better at from where they've been in the playoffs so far to make that a more competitive series than we've seen the Cavs have so far? Uh, I talked about it a little bit already. You got to attack them in that pick and roll. You got to be aggressive and take advantage of their defensive deficiencies. And that, that goes back to Horford. I still think Al Horford's the biggest advantage you have as the Celtics over any given team. That he can just do so many things that opposing big men cannot. Uh, he really has to keep Kevin Love under ropes. Uh, he's done a great job rebounding throughout the playoffs so far. That's where he's been criticized a lot of the time. But you've got to keep Kevin Love from being impactful on the offensive end. You've got to take advantage of his defense. I mean, the Cavs really do thrive around Kevin Love. Whether he's playing great, they look like they're unstoppable. Uh, when he's out of the game, it's just uh, it, it gets ugly with him. There's really, there's really two sides to Kevin Love, and we've seen them all in Cleveland now. But you even looked at that game seven against Golden State last year. Kevin Love was phenomenal. He was impactful inside, hitting his threes. He's... When he gets going, he's the, really the deal-breaker with that team. So you got to look out for him. Avery Bradley's crucial. You really look at him as the X factor on the Celtics. So you forget how good he is until he's gone, like last postseason, going down that game one. He's their best two-way player. He's a shot. He can knock shots down from anywhere on the floor. they got to take advantage of that more often than they do, I feel like. Um, his quickness, great hands defensively. I feel like he's one of the very few guys who can really give Kyrie issues one-on-one. I feel like Kyrie, just anyone he can take one-on-one, even a Clay Thompson, even a Tony Allen. Like his, his one-on-one isolation game is absurd with those handles. So I think Bradley's got to really get back to being that elite defensive player. And they got to take advantage of their defense as a whole, really switch hard, help hard, because you know LeBron's going to try to go after Isaiah. And 
I have more faith in him than anyone really taking advantage of that matchup if he can get it. So it's going to be tough, but I'm glad they gave themselves every advantage they could with home court. I, I feel like the Cavs thought they were going to get knocked out early before this. That's a big reason they gave up that home court, I think. But we'll see. It's going to start in Boston now, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, it should be an electric environment. Um, I don't think I don't think the Cavs give like two dams, to be honest with you, like about where they play. Like I really don't. Um, I think the way you see they're playing right now is like I think in in some ways like it's it's almost better than what we saw last year. Like I think, but I, I think that a lot of it just because LeBron's just been like a buzz off. Like LeBron has yeah, just been like every night. I'm just like okay, like this. I, I don't I know how wanna, you deal with that. I really want to see them get that disrespectful factor out of Cleveland's game, though. You know, with him drinking the beer on the sidelines, with, <laughs> yeah, him, yeah. with him rolling the ball. There can be none of that in this series, and I trust that there won't be. The Celtics play hard. They're, they got an attitude themselves. I mean, Avery Bradley was saying before game five that he was going to bleep uh, Marcin Gortat up if they didn't start making some calls against them. You know Marcus Smart's got an attitude, Isaiah Thomas. This team has some grittiness. They're not going to be disrespecting like that, and I would hate to see that if it did happen. But um, that's that's my biggest – that's the biggest reason I'm excited to see the series because I feel like the Celtics are one of the very few teams that aren't going to back down to them and aren't going to be disrespected like that. <laughs> yeah, I think – I mean, I think it's true. Like, you go back two years uh, to the to 2014-15, Cavs are playing Boston around one. There's bad. I mean, there's a lot of beef in that series. You had the JR incident. You had the Kelly Olynyk thing. You had the Kendrick Perkins uh, thing there as well. And I think mm-hmm. I don't think it has, hasn't hit as that hostility since then. But it certainly has hit certain levels of it. And it maybe I don't know if it'll be more intense in Washington, but I don't think there is any of loss. And I think like LeBron does certain. I mean, like. You're going to have Kyrie go with Bradley. Those two have had some really fun battles. I don't think Crowder is going to, and Smart are really going to deal with LeBron being goofy, but, I mean, it might happen anyway, you know? Like, it's like <laughs> it just might happen. And I that I kind of just want to see the Cavs, and maybe Boston's the best team to do it. Uh, I, maybe it's, I don't know which one's really more equipped to do it, I guess, but I think we got arguments for both, pretty strong arguments for both, but I think maybe Boston could do something with Cleveland and just like at least like annoy them someone that we haven't seen like they they didn't care about playing Toronto like they just oh my cruised, god you know? it was a it was disgrace just, yeah like I, and you feel kind of crappy for Toronto because like Lowry gets hurt and stuff but even before that it just didn't feel like it mattered you heard what DeRozan said about you know it was just sad hearing him say if we had LeBron we would have won this series like there's just kind of this lean back and kind of look at awe in Cleveland factor at this point and I, I just don't feel like Boston has it with guys like Smart, Crowder Tom, I mean they've built they've built an ego for themselves getting that one seed coming so far as they have together now and I think that's a key factor too now is that these guys have been together for years now between their starting lineup and you know, Linick off the bench Like they've, they've built something here when it comes to chemistry, when it comes to the pride they play with and um, that's why I'm glad they're advancing and Washington's not. I, I definitely could have seen Washington getting caught up in all that, being that this is one of their first runs with this team and in the postseason. But um, Boston, they've been coming. They've played Cleveland now. Of course, you talked about like that 2015 series. wasn't close, but um, there were some tight games within it, even in a sweep. There was some tensions, and everywhere it go, everywhere the Celtics go, it feels like this tension's flying. I mean, they're getting into it with Butler in the first round. 
Uh, you, of course, had the Ubre incident in this series. I'm sure Kelly Olenek, something's going to happen with Kelly Olenek just because. <laughs> yeah, probably. You're probably right. Yeah, so I'm excited for it. I, I Even if they lose, I just hope it's competitive. I hope it's intense. I mean, four years after the lottery, who could have imagined Boston would be back in the Eastern Conference Finals? So I'm just glad to be there, and I hope they are too and play with some pride, fight, take advantage of that home court that they have, and you know maybe give them a little bit of a push. Yeah. Last two things here. We'll wrap it up on this. Uh, one, are Celtics fans more excited about the Eastern Conference Finals or the draft lottery next week? Uh, absolutely the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the fact of how ahead of schedule they are is is astounding. The Garden's back to where it was with those KG Pierce era teams, and it, it took a little while to transition. I mean, for years, even with Isaiah first getting here, you'd still see the Pierce jerseys in the crowd. There was still kind of that um, lackadaisical uh, approach to being a fan of this team at this point and kind of still looking back in all, at all in those big three teams, how great they were. But I think we finally moved past it this year. You see Thomas jerseys all over the country. Um, everyone's getting back, fired up. The garden crowd's been fantastic. I even heard that first night back once Thomas um, came back from that tragedy with his sister. It was just overwhelming, the crowd blaring through the TV. And it's going to be something. They're going to give it to LeBron, I feel like. They're going to be all over him. And <laughs> of course, you heard about the whole uh, Ubre incident with the f bombs flying his way. He was really upset about that. that <laughs> I yeah. hope I hope LeBron's a little uh, more prepared for what he's gonna hear than yeah. uh, Ubre, and I'm sure he is. Yeah. But at the draft lottery, it's about time they win. They've never won it. <laughs> They've had their opportunities through the years. I'm so pumped up about Markel Fultz. I. It's been a long time since I've been so excited about a prospect. I'm not even thinking about anyone else. I know they love Josh Jackson just from what I've heard around the team. Uh, there's some other prospects they like too, but I feel like Fultz is just so far and away the number one pick there. I know he's a point guard. I know there'll probably be some tensions there with Isaiah, but as you've seen with how this team plays, there can never be enough ball handlers. There's always room for more talent. And um, hopefully things go our way because that number one pick is everything. Yeah, that would be. I mean, if you guys got Fultz, that would be pretty. Like that's a pretty interesting, like just dynamic with how many point guards are on the roster that are like quality point guards, right? And like, and you have Isaiah. Uh, less, mm-hmm. does, does Boston get it done Friday in Game Six, or do we see a Game Seven? Ah, jeez. <laughs> I I hope there's not a Game Seven because my heart can't take that at this point. This series has just been all over the place. So um, I'm going to say no. I think they get it done in Washington. I think um, first half of Game 4, you saw that they actually could play there without getting blown out. But, of course, there was that big run. Um, I think I think they're just going to squeeze it out in Washington. It's going to be close. There's going to be some big runs they have to sustain. But uh, I think they found their formula for success in this series, at least at this point. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of think we're seeing a game seven, but it, I mean, I, nothing would shock me with this series at this point. Just with how yeah. back and forth it's really been, and, um, and then Boston. I, I think I'm, Boston's I'm glad we've had matters it. too. It's it's been a fun matchup. It's been fun battling with uh, Wall versus Thomas on Twitter. I've gotten a lot of crap for that. Um, the fun games back and forth. That game, I was at game two. That was something to behold. The 53 point performance. So we've we've had it all this series. Kelly versus Kelly. Uh, Gortat, 
it's it's been a lot of fun. It's the matchup I wanted all year long, and it's been everything I could have imagined. Yeah. Well, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, check out all of Bobby's writing at SelectsBlog.com, and and go listen to the Bobcast. You'll you'll have some fun listening to uh, his pod over there. So thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Oh, no doubt. I'm sure me, you, Justin Rowan will all be going at it real soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be the – oh, Justin's a Justin's a, the Closet Warriors fan, so we're good. We're good. I don't know if you mm. saw the, the burns on him for his Warriors – fake Warriors fandom, but it's pretty good times out there. Oh, yeah, those yeah. those Warriors fans will get you. <laughs> all right, talk to you soon, man. Peace out. So, Mike, the Wizards, the team you cover over at Bullets Forever, they're down 3-2 to the Celtics now after losing – 123 to 101 on Wednesday night. What went wrong? Yeah. What went wrong uh, for the Wizards in that game? Um, It, it just looked like the Celtics. The, me personally, I, I give a lot of credit to the Celtics for, for what happened last night. The Wizards, they didn't really come out with as much um, energy and, and enthusiasm, which is like a really... I don't know it's a really simplistic way of of putting it, but like they started the first quarter off with they um they they were up four to nothing, and then the Celtics just kind of took off with a a sixteen zero run, and um a lot of that was because of the um the points that the Celtics were getting off of of runouts and and uh, leaks after uh, Wizards misses, and they were missing a lot of layups early on too, which was really um. I don't. I I didn't really know how to feel about it because that's not a, a typical Wizards thing. Yeah. So I, I it it was it was just a weird start, and then um, the Celtics kind of adjusted by um, making uh, Al Horford a uh, a pick and roll ball handler with Isaiah Thomas as a uh, a screener, and Isaiah didn't really go off last night, which was a positive for the Wizards because of their um, ball denial. But I also think that uh, Brad Stevens kind of used that to the to the Celtics' advantage in in using him as a screener. So it, it, it got Al Horford a lot of open looks, and they just kind of – and Avery Bradley just went off, so. Yeah, I, I think yeah. – like, that's like – if you're going to lose to Boston, like, Isaiah is sort of, like, the obvious way you're going to do it. But, like, Horford, he's had a really good playoffs. Like, he's been really, really yeah. good. He's been, like, Draymond Green light in some regards. That 5-1 pick and roll is, like, a very interesting tweak. It's just a very, yeah. it's like a very unorthodox solution to some of the problems Boston faces, because he might, he probably is their second best creator, right? Like I think like Gerald Green was always a weird fix for that. Like Marcus Smart and Rozier are guys I like. They're not really creators, you know. Like he's your second best yeah. creator behind Isaiah, and like getting him in those situations is interesting. Do you think? Um, I mean, Gortat only played twenty five minutes in this game. Do you think he needed to be out there more? Because I saw I saw some of that um, when I was like quickly perusing Twitter today. Honestly, I don't. I don't think he would have helped because it's not like he has the the foot speed to um, you know get over Isaiah Thomas screens cleanly, which is a really weird thing to say, right? Because it's Isaiah Thomas, so you you kind of want to just run through him, but you can't really do that. You have to kind of navigate around the screen, and and plus on the screens that uh, Thomas was setting, um, and there was like a a really um, long stretch where the Celtics did that in the third quarter, used him as a screener. Like he used the um the player who was trying to deny him of of the ball as part of the screen. So like you you gotta get around two players, um to get to the ball. And and that was Gortat's not really helping with that. Like I guess you can say, you know maybe um Gortat would have been able to uh, 
guard Al Horford down a little bit more, but he didn't. I mean, that really wasn't a factor last night. It was most of the damage was done from outside. Um, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, all in all, the game, the score is terrible, but I didn't hate the Wizards strategy going into it. And, and if you're if you're going to lose to the Celtics, I think that's the way that you kind of want to do it. I mean, obviously you want to put up more of a fight on the um, on the offensive end, but like if, if Avery Bradley is going to go nuts and Al Horford's going to miss uh, one shot, then, you know, tip your cap and move on. Yeah, I think I think that's about right. But what do you make of how the Wizards have played so far? Because until last night, they functionally had a blowout, like a big lead in every one of these games. Like they have led big. They, of course, had that, that game was a game four where they went on that 26-0 run. John Wall was unbelievable in that game. They shut, really shut down Isaiah when they were in the, in D.C. I feel like Washington, except for this last game, has been the better team for most of the series. And that's not surprising because I think Washington's always sort of been really good. And John Wall, I think, is the best player in this series. But they also just they didn't, they didn't win game two when they may be like, that's the game if you're going to win on the road. That's probably the game you wanted to win considering – how much they were up and and everything else that happened, right? And I I kind of think that that's just the the way the Wizards that, that's how slim the the margin of error for the Wizards is in this series, right? Like you you had game two in hand, the starters come out and the Celtics go on a run, and then the games in the fourth quarter all of a sudden like it, it, it's a whole nother ball game, and you're you're fighting for your life to uh, to try to win that game, which they ended up losing. Um, and, and last night is, is another um, instance where you see like if, if the starters don't play near nearly perfect basketball, like there's there's absolutely no chance that the Wizards will have to um, to win this game because they don't really have a guy on the bench who they can rely on to um, come up with uh, consistent buckets. And I mean, not even just buckets, but just general shot creation like. You think that um, Brandon Jennings is that guy who's not like he's not a, a scorer, but he's a, a really good facilitator off the bench and can run pick and rolls for you, and and make actual NBA basketball plays without just taking uh, mid range jumpers, a la Trey Burke. But like he's been terrible this series. Um, Bogdanovich has been up and down. Um, you know, it, it, it nothing nothing really worked for Washington yesterday um as far as their their offense goes and and a lot of that like i said the, the credit has to go to the to the celtics for that for being so great in in transition and stopping the ball and picking up uh shooters because john wall only had four assists you know and then that that never happens and when that happens the wizards suck you know so it it, it they they did a really good job of just taking it to um, to the starters and, and just being the better team for the first time, like you said, I, I think, in the series. Where does Washington go from here? You have Game 6 Friday. You have a potential Game 7. They, of course, ha- are going to have to win these last two games now, and, and Game 7, of course, is in Boston, a, a place that is hard to play. It's a very loud crowd. They very much – I mean, Kelly Oubre, uh, you know, you said he expected it, but he was the target of some very specific chants in, in some – uh, some you know some prodding from the Celtics guard. How how do they win these last two games in advance? Yeah, I, I just think that they're going to to win on um, Friday at least. They they're going to have to come out and push the ball up, and and everyone's going to have to um, 
to run on offense. Like they can't they can't allow the Celtics to kind of shut their transition game down because that's that's this team's bread and butter. That's where they're best at, and that's where they get their um, most open looks at. Like they can function in the half court, but it's it's not as good. And I I think that it, that's the case for pretty much every NBA team um, at this point because. If I mean these are NBA players, right? Like mo- most of them, if you allow them to set themselves up, like they're they're pretty good defensively. But another thing that I think the um the Wizards need to do is um put fix their transition defense because the the Celtics had I think 15 fast break points in that first quarter yesterday, and that really broke the game open for them. Um the the Wizards it it, it was a really um. Like I said, they they started with that 16-0 run, and it was 16-4, and the Wizards never really got back into it because the, the Celtics are a pretty good offensive team, and if if you allow them um, easy fast break buckets like that, you're you're not going to um, be able to slow them down long enough to to get yourself back in the game, especially when your offense isn't working, like the uh, like the Wizards' offense was yesterday. So it. it they, I mean, they've got a lot of work to do. But like I said, the the strategy that they had yesterday of you know just kind of keeping Isaiah Thomas off of the ball and um, preventing him from taking shots and and letting other players uh, make plays, I, I think it's a good strategy. They just have to kind of execute it better. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that's wrong. I think you're right. Like, the margin of error between these two teams is very small. It just it's hard to find like these like things that just drastically make one team better than the other, especially when you've seen very like different play for both teams in both cities. Like that's kind of been the theme of this is that Washington has looked much better at home. Boston has looked much better when, when they're at home. That's and like the wizards just happen to be in that spot where they're the one who have to overcome that. They have to be the one on the road winning game seven or winning a game early in the series, which they, they didn't end up doing uh, last thing here. Mike Washington, has you know they they had a longer series than maybe you would have expected, uh, with with Atlanta. Uh, although Atlanta played like pretty solid to their credit, this Boston series has been as tight as I think everyone expected it to be. How do you, what do you make of how Washington has performed so far in the playoffs? Um, I I think you know they haven't really been too much different from the team that they were in the regular season, aside from that game six in Atlanta where John Wall kind of he just took the game over and dropped forty two to um send them home like that that was um that game was a bit different but you know they've been this sort of Jekyll and Hyde team all season long right like they started off two and eight um weren't didn't really look that great then they have the the huge um 17 game winner streak at home and they look unbeatable and then they can't play defense after the all-star break like it's just that that's been this team um, throughout the season, so like I, I haven't really seen much that surpri- that has surprised me. I, I think the um, as far as like the national reaction goes, I think a lot of people have been impressed with with John Wall's play, and and, and rightfully so because he he's been pretty impressive. I think he's averaging I don't know what it is after last night's game, but before last night's game, he was averaging like thirty and eleven, which is which is a pretty impressive line, um, no matter who we're talking about, but. Um, you know, th- this is this is kind of what John Wall's been doing all season long. He's been a, a pretty uh, special player um, for the Wizards, and and I think now people are just kind of starting to see um, the type of player that he is. And and I think there's a legitimate argument for him to be in that upper echelon of um, point guards, along with Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, and 
Chris Paul and those guys. Yeah, I, so, I would say he's definitely. I think out of the guys that we've had in the playoffs, you have Lowry who got hurt and then you know, lost in four, and lost to the Cavs. You have Kyrie who hasn't shot that well. Isaiah had two kind of bad games in D.C. I, Walsh probably had the best playoffs of any point guard in the Eastern Conference. Like, I, I don't really feel like that's too takey. Yeah, I don't – I was saying the other day, like, I, I can't really think of another guard in these playoffs. Like, in, unless we want to talk about – like, James Harden has been pretty pretty good. Like, I don't want to take anything away from James Harden. But, like, I, I feel like John Wall has really been just – a, a, a step above and a bit more consistent than most other guards in these playoffs. Like, and, and maybe that's just me watching this team um, so closely and intently. But like, he he's he's just been really good. Like, it, it 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 it's been it's been fun to watch. Yeah, I I think so. Like, I think Kyrie has been better than his shooting numbers might indicate. I think he's done a really nice job. Um, at least in, in most of the games, especially lately, of distributing and getting guys involved. We yeah. haven't seen, like, that Kyrie that's just going in the phone booth and trying to destroy guys. Like, we haven't, we saw that against Indiana. Um, we didn't, we had, we didn't see that once against Toronto. And I think that's, like, a very positive thing for him. And I, I think, yeah. like, him and Wall, to me, like, I don't, I think, I don't know who I really think the Cavs are going to get pushed by most out of these teams, um, in the, in the East. Like, I don't know with how well the Cavs are playing, how much rest they're going to have coming into that series. I'm not really sure they're going to get pushed, which is sort of disappointing, you know, after kind of thinking sure. they, they might. Wall, right. I think, probably can push the Cavs a little bit more than Isaiah just because he's he's big and strong. Like Isaiah is a strong guy, for his, especially for his size. But Wall's just like this this other level of, of size and, and athleticism. And, like, I think he's going to put more pressure on Kyrie and on a J.R. Smith, and especially because Beal – is there to create as well. Like, I think they just kind of, of course, Horford can do some of the creation stuff as well, like we talked about, but I kind of think Washington like would actually like push Kyrie in interesting ways. And I, I'm always down for wall Kyrie duels because they're so good, but in, in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and don't get like Kyrie's, I, I personally think Kyrie's been really good th- this postseason. Like, I, I don't know, like a lot of people are talking about how terribly he's been shooting and he hasn't been the same Kyrie. But like you said, he's really been moving the ball, and he's he's been playing really good defense. Like, and and that's that's really scary to see um, for the rest of the Eastern Conference. So, like, I I think um, you know if if the Cavs continue to play that way, I'm not really sure how much either of these teams will be able to push them. But I I do agree with you. I think Washington probably would present a a bit more of a matchup problem um, as far as their. Um, their starting backcourt goes like once you get into that bench though things kind of things kind of even out yeah yeah that's that just feels like the like the difference do you th- i mean last thing for real this time do you think um do you think that that bench has is just ends up being the issue that that has held washington back in some way in this series like is having Mahimi be sort of this guy who's made some impact but not a lot is is that part of the problem that they're kind of facing right now and it was just maybe always going to be this way yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of the problem. And, and like I said, it's been a thing all season long, right? Like you you haven't gotten consistent good minutes out of really any of these guys. Like their their best bench player this season may have very well been Jason Smith. And like that's insane. Just <laughs> to think like I I mean coming into last year's offseason, like I didn't even know if, if Jason Smith was going to still be in the league and for him to get the deal that he got. And and like don't get me wrong, like he's been a good player for DC. He's he's been really good and really fun here. But, you know, that that um 
that Jason Smith should never be your your best six man. I don't think like that's that's not a really good look, especially with how how much he fouls and um, you know the the kind of the limits of his offensive game. Like that's that's not really a great look, but. I mean, they won 49 games with with this terrible bench. Like, I, I guess if you if if they make one more addition, like maybe if they had um, if they had a PJ Tucker, or if they actually got Lou Williams or someone like that, like they, maybe they'd be a bit better. But that's not what it is. Like they they have what they have. They can worry about fixing it in the off season. But um, yeah, right now it's it's not looking really good. Yeah, I think that's that's like pretty fair too oh mike thanks so much for popping on uh as always hopefully we get to do this again at, at some point whether that's next round or, or in sometime in the over the summer yeah for sure most definitely man cool you are locked on cavaliers your daily cleveland cavaliers podcast part of the locked on podcast network so joining me now on the Locked on Cavs podcast is Eric Jackman, a.k.a. New York Rick from the MMA Hour. Eric, what's up, man? How's it going, Chris? Um, this is probably the best moment of my life. Um, <laughs> I'm finally getting my opportunity to fly my Cavs flag um, loud and proud. Um, even though I'm New York Rick, um, I'm, I'm a diehard Cavs fan, and uh, I'm excited about this. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's pretty. A, it's pretty bad. This is the best moment of your life, and B, uh, it's good to get you out of the the Nick zone of area Hawani's a very Hawani state. <laughs> well, he's he's actually in the Jazz zone right now, but unfortunately, they got uh, smacked up by that that team that I will not talk about um, <laughs> over on the Western Conference. Oh, the Jazz. I mean, that's a fun pick, though. They got Gobert. I mean, the French didn't make sense. So. You and I were talking, you and I have talked about this a couple of months. One of the things that you've mentioned to me like twice that I've always found kind of funny, and I don't know how serious you are about this, is that you said you're going to name your firstborn son Kyrie Irving after Kyrie Irving. Is that real? And is your wife like, okay, does your wife know about this? So, so it's not confirmed yet. It's something I'm working on, but I truly do want to name my firstborn son Kyrie. Um, Kyrie's my favorite player right now. Um, one of my favorite Cavs of all time, not my favorite, but one of my favorite could could make the list um the all-time list at the end of this but uh i'm really interested in naming my my son Kyrie. i love the name um but the progress has been let's say not great uh, my wife is not uh, thrilled about naming our son Kyrie, um or our future son our potential son um does not yet exist but uh i'm laying the seeds because um, I really wanted to have. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to name it after a current cat, that's sort of the, the one of the more fun ones. I don't know if you can name your kid like Jr. and like Amon Shumpert already <laughs> named his kid like Amon Shumpert, even though it's a girl. So, I mean, like, you can't really – not a lot of fun ones to mimic. And, like, naming your kid like Kyle, I don't know. That's not really fun. Like, Kyle Corver is great, but, like, that's not really a fun, like, name to name your kid after. If I was uh, making enough money in my career, I could name them Swish and get away with it. But uh, I don't think I don't think I have the paychecks for that yet. Yeah, you got to get the certain tax bracket to pull off naming your kid Swish. That'd be incredible though. If your kid's name is Swish and like people understand the reference, oh, that'd be incredible. Um, who, who who is your favorite Cav of all time? So this is going to be an interesting one because he's not an all-time great Cav, um, but it's uh, it's Sean Kemp, um, and he's actually the reason I'm a Cavs fan. Um, it, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was arbitrary, um, but it was kind of random circumstance where right around the time, this is, you know, late 97, 98, um, I, I was watching the league, but I didn't really have a team. 
my my mom and my dad are not sports fans. Um, didn't you know push Knicks or any um, teams on me. So at around that time, I was I was noticing that all my friends had these teams. They had these rooting interests, and I remember Sean Kemp from the Sonics, um, obviously. Uh, and my mom, the, the first, you know, you remember those uh, champion used to make these jerseys and I got one on discount from a spot called Filene's Basement that I'm sure doesn't exist anymore, that uh, they had a Sean Kemp jersey, uh, which my mom bought me. And from then on, he happened to play for the Cavs at that time. My team was the Cleveland Cavaliers and Sean Kemp is my favorite player. Um, right up until about uh, the, the run where the Cavs got Delonte West from the Celtics, um, Neck and neck. Uh, Kemp, 1A. Delonte West, 1B. Delonte West is a great pick. Like, a great pick for uh, favorite Cav. He, he's just fascinating. He was super fun during that first LeBron run. Do you have a favorite Cavs jersey? Like, a favorite Cavs – or do you favorite Cavs color scheme? Because I know there's some – the, there's some there's some takes on where the what the Cavs kind of have color wise, and there's there's I yeah. think you're gonna see a change next year too. Uh, I from what I understand, they may be all black next year as their primary, like a black jersey, which I don't really love, but uh, I kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's nostalgia speaking, but it, I think it's the black and blues. Um, from when I was you know first getting into it, um, I really like those, even though. They, they, they're kind of dated. They definitely look like a 90s jersey. Um, I think it's probably those. I think it's probably the black and blues. Um, I still love the wine and gold. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll rep any colors that the Cavs wear, uh, but I think it's those. Yeah, I, I'm partial to those two because that was when I was a kid. Like I was, I'm a 90s kid, so that was my. That's when I grew up watching the Cavs. I, uh, I've always thought about pulling the trigger on like buying one of the the Cavs jerseys of that era, you can buy them like sort of illegally, I think, or you can maybe buy the Kyrie one through the Cavs website. You can get the Kyrie number two in that black and blue nineties Jersey and you can get a Z one, which I mean, those are like sort of so nineties that they just sort of fit that time period. Like, and I think I really do like the eighties jerseys. I like the, the Doherty price Cavs jerseys though. That's actually probably my favorite color scheme. If we're being honest, the wine and gold's fine. I like how the blue and orange sort of sort of pops and they sort of fit that era too. Yeah, I agree. Those were pretty sweet. Um, the, the, the problem with those for me is that I see Knicks jerseys all the time, and they're oh, yeah, so 100%. like reminiscent of that jersey. Yeah, that's so can't weird. do it. Can't do it for me. Get get the Knicks shit out of here. <laughs> yeah, get the get the Knicks stuff out of there. Um, has Ariel ever tried to badger you into trying to uh, get you on board of the the Let's get trade for Carmelo train? Has that ever happened? <laughs> um, he did. I, I can't. I can't say that I remember him pushing that. Um, but, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that Ariel's firmly in the, in the Carmelo camp, um, on our show, he, he went on quite a rant against, um, Phil Jackson, uh, not a fan of how he's handling his business over there. Um, and he, he still thinks, uh, Carmelo's uh, a premier, uh, scorer in the NBA, which is hard to argue with. Um, so, uh, I think he wants to hang on to Carmelo. I think he likes the relationship with, uh, Chris Depps and, and Melo, but, uh, he's not, he's not pushed that one on me. Yeah, that's that's good. At least, at least he hasn't tried to push that insanity on you. Because people, there's people that like believe that should happen, or have like argued that the Cavs should consider it. And I find that I find that blasphemous. Like they would do that. Um, right now with the Cavs, where they're at, where you're watching them throughout the regular season, like you're watching them in the playoffs now. When they were at their peak, Cavs awfulness in March. Uh, yeah. Were you concerned at all about what kind of team this was? I wasn't because I kind of. LeBron is so much of a weather vane. Um, when he's worried, I'm worried. When he's not worried, I'm not worried. It seemed like he was much more concerned 
um, at the middle of last season, talking about we're a good team but not a great team. Um, I got different vibes from him then. For this season, I got more of the vibe that, like, this is cruise control. Um, we're going to be fine. And come playoff time, it, it seems to have been the case. Um, so, when, you know, as the team goes, uh, LeBron goes, and, and I kind of use that as my, um, as my weather vane. So if LeBron is, uh, LeBron is feeling that and, and putting stuff out in the media that makes me feel uneasy, that's when I get worried. But uh, this year, I wasn't. Yeah, the March was sort of awful, though. Like, I, I, like, I was, I'm sort of in the same camp as you. Like, if LeBron feels fine and we know what they can do, like, I sort of feel, like, okay about them as, like, a team. Right? Like, they're going to probably figure it out. They're probably going to get there. And they certainly they certainly have, right? Like, they've, they've looked really good through two rounds. Um, I mean, is, it, is this the Cavs you were expecting to see? Is this the Cavs right now that we're seeing and as we head into the next round that you you expected to see? Um, yeah, uh, it's hard to say. I think you know clearly the defense has has regressed since last year. Um, I don't I don't think in a in a significant enough way that I'm like you know terrified. Um, but I on the on the other side of the coin, I think the offense looks smooth. Kyle Korver is such a fantastic addition. Um, Amon Shumpert's really given. Uh, a lot more this season than he was able to last season. Um, so I feel good about the offense. I still feel a little bit worse about the defense, but I think we're in a good spot. Um, I don't see anybody really uh, coming out of the Wizards Celtics series that scares me too much. So I think we're in a good position to at least get to the finals, uh, knocking on wood, um, on you know, firing on all cylinders and relatively healthy. Yeah, the defense is like interesting because I I think there's no way it was really going to get better when you trade out Delhi, who like is you know he's he is what he is, but he at least was going to try really hard on defense. Darren Williams is a very different type of point guard. Uh, you have Kyle Korver coming in, who's a good team defender, and he's done a really nice job on defense in the playoffs, I think. But he's not like a lockdown defender. Um, and Shumpert, you're right. I think Shumpert, you're right about Shumpert. He's been. The best amount of we've seen since he was starting for that little bit, I think, in the playoffs. Uh, he's actually been engaged. He's been playing within himself, and I think that's sort of the key. Uh, LeBron also has been really good. I mean, that goes sort of without being said. What do you make of how Kyrie and Kevin Love have played? Um, yeah, Kyrie struggled a little bit. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously we saw in, in that spurt he had in, was it the last game or the game before, um, that, you know, when, when it's time he can still turn it on. Um, I also think that until they until they get to the finals, which um, they will, I'm, I'm very confident about that. Um, until they get to the finals, I don't think they're going to be pressed too hard to have Kyrie Irving needing to be in that position. I think LeBron's going to be able to put it into cruise control and kind of you know do what he's uh, you know do what he's done to this point year after year. Um, Kevin Love is interesting because I think I saw something today on Fear of the Sword, the best blog there is, about Tilu taking a bit of the, the blame um, for not getting Kevin involved, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I think um, one of the things that obviously he came in and did when he took over the team was make sure to get Kevin Love involved and it paid dividends right away. So I think as long as he's kind of aware of it, um, I'm hopeful that Kevin will get you know more into the flow. Um, I'm really, I'm really in a like good spot. I, I'm, I'm fairly um, at ease at how the teams performed um, and and where they can perform in, in the next two rounds. The Kevin Love stuff interesting because the way his role has, de- like, he's never had the the biggest role since he's come to Cleveland, right? Like, he's never had this very, you know, substantial role. He's always been someone who's been used really heavily in the first quarter. Um, but this year we saw him more so, I think, you in moments in the first two rounds where he was released. But his usage rate is way down. 
he's scoring less, but he's rebounding really well. I don't know how f- fair this actually is, but the only way I can explain what his role is is that it's more like Channing Fries than it is like Kyrie Irving. Because if we're living in this LeBron James world, this LeBron James orbit, you sort of are going to have things just play out how they play out. Kyrie, because of how much he handles the ball, because of the position he plays, is going to handle the ball. Like Kevin Love just sort of gets relegated to the side. I kind of think they'd be better off using him more in certain senses. I think he's really be, would be primed for a big series against Boston or Washington. I think in both the series he could do really well. The finals against Golden State just ends up being how does Kevin Love contribute if he's not going to be a lockdown defender? Who does he defend? And it's sort of the same questions we've had before, even though like I think in a lot of ways the team and himself sort of validated what he is and how he can contribute through this year and in the finals last year, even if it really centers on that one play where he defended Curry. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, it's also important to remember, like, the game is not all offense. Kevin Love does contribute in other ways. He's still, a, you know, a stout rebounder. Um, he's, he hustles hard, even though he's not the most athletic and, and fleet of foot. Um, he always gives an effort. And, you know, I, I think th- they'll figure out a way to get him into that. But, yeah, I mean, the LeBron offense operates better when you have the shooters around there, and, and he's still a good shooter, too. So, um I love Kevin Love, and I think the team loves Kevin Love. So um, I'm uh, I'm not worried about him. He, he'll, it, what, what was the uh, the quote that LeBron put on the Twitter um, that that seemed to be the 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 message to him like fit in or fit out something yeah. like that? Yeah, um, right. Kevin will fit in. Yeah, He's, he'll be fine. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think too, like he, you can just tell like he is more settled this year. Like he is more uh, like there's there's a more there's a bigger comfort. With, with him in the locker room, I think last year certainly helped that a lot. I think just winning the title, I think Fry and, and Richard Jefferson and James Jones are a big part of that as well. Besides the besides Kyrie, and I know you said you love Kevin Love, do you have like a favorite random Cav on this team? Um, I don't know, that's a good question. I mean, obviously as a fan now of the Road Trip and Podcast, um, we've gotten to see or hear rather a lot more of uh, Rich and Channing's personalities. Um, I have to say, it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience. I like both of those guys a hell of a lot, you know, more now getting to see them because you know, come game time, they're not guys who are getting huge minutes, so people tend to gravitate toward the stars. I think that podcast has really given them a good opportunity to kind of flourish and and display their personalities. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably RJ, um, just because every time he comes in. Um, he looks like he's he's giving you know that that maximum effort for the five to six minute spurt. Um, gets a dunk on somebody, gets the high fives, and then goes out of the game. And and uh, that said, you know Channing also has been like tremendous in this playoffs. Um, his his shooting has been incredible. Um, it's it's between those two, and I'm gonna go RJ. I was, I really I'm also like a fan of Channing because he's just a really nice guy. Like he's just very easygoing. He's also a dork. Like he's just. He, I don't know if you've like heard him talk about. He's talked about this in the pod. Um, and friend of the pod, Dave Vermel, just wrote about uh, wrote this big story about NBA players and comic books. Channing Fry is like an active comic book reader. Like he's this six foot eleven NBA player who just like reads Marvel comic books with his kids. He's a dork. Like he's just a huge dork. And, yeah, like, I, and I like love that. Yeah, I, I I like that too. Um, because I'm from that. I'm not quite you know the the guy who collects the comic books and has them in his house. But I was the guy who was like on Wikipedia looking up all the stuff about all the different superheroes and, you know, watching the, the animated movies and all that stuff. Um, I'd be remiss to say, though, um, if I didn't show some love for, for Pipe, for J.R. Smith, um, I've loved that guy for a long time, even before he was a Cavalier. 
Um, I just always loved his game because he has no conscience. And um, I like players like that. I like Dion uh, when he played for the Cavs. Um, I like the guy who's not, I like the guy who's not scared of the big moment, um, even if sometimes it's completely irrational and he's throwing up, you know, 35 footers when he didn't really need to. Um, I'd rather have that guy because come uh, big game, you know, that guy's not going to shrink. And uh, there's, there's nothing worse than that. My, uh, my biggest thing I the, I shouldn't say biggest regret because it's like very a trivial thing, but I was in New York when I was like nineteen, I think, and I was just wandering around the city while my uncle was staying with my uncle who lives in Manhattan, and uh, I was just looking around. I went to MSG, and it was when Jr. was still on the Knicks, so I had to. I was either after it was either before my freshman year of college or uh, after my freshman year of college, sometime in there, and I went to the shop and they had these shirts. Um, in the Nick team shop that were like once a Nick always a Nick around like on there was like a jersey and they had like the basketball on the back had once a Nick always a Nick on it and I'm like really mad I didn't buy the JR one I'm like very mad at myself for like not buying <laughs> that JR one because it would just been classic it was just like of all the guys you could have gotten and it was just would have been great he JR is just like a very it's like kind of crazy that he is what he is now considering what he was when he was at the end of his Knicks run and like the untying people's shoes that he is this really really useful player for the Cavs and like you just had Dwayne Casey I think cite him as an example of of defensive effort and like saying guys need to like turn around like J.R. Smith like who in 2017 who would have thought that's the J.R. Smith we'd be getting right like this is sort of like the most wacky end or like a run of what his career is yeah his defense has been tremendous and um I think uh I know, I know firsthand that once a Nick, always a Nick does not actually apply because uh, <laughs> the, the the fans here could not could not have wanted to get rid of Jr. and, and Amash for, uh, more quickly. It's 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 incredible to me. Uh, first of all, the trade that that uh, Griff made um, to get Jr. Mozgov and, and Shump, you know, they're they're, they're career changers, they're uh, franchise changers, that they're everything that that made the difference, but. Smith was like a throw-in, and how mm-hmm. critical he's been to every step of the Cavs' progress um, blows my mind. And and I, you know, trades like that, like for example, Gasol for Gasol, um, where Mark was a second-round throw-in. Now, obviously, you know, they had scouted and, and realized they wanted him, um, but y- you never know like who's going to end up on, on the better end of a trade, um, and everybody's kind of quick to to um, analyze them. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that J.R. Smith was going to be the contributor that he is, and you know, good for him. Yeah. What do you make of David Griffin's contract situation? Yeah, um, I don't know enough. I'm really not like tuned into that kind of behind the scenes on the basketball side. Um, so I really don't know if the magic stuff is a power play um, by his team, you know, floating it out there and getting the interest up and then making, you know, uh, Dan Gilbert balk and, and have to give him what he needs. Um, but I'll say this, I sure as hell hope he doesn't go anywhere. Uh, it is, uh, he feels like one of the team members. Um, and he, and he's, you know, clearly very good at what he does. Um, everybody was, you know, talking about how he's under the hot seat to get LeBron some help at the trade deadline, um, was able to do it through free agency through patience and just being smart and being prepared like he always is. Um, so I, I would be heartbroken if, if Griff went anywhere. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I really don't know enough to say anything other than I hope, um, it's just posturing and that we ultimately get that sorted out. Yeah. I, I think they, they, it's a weird posturing. I don't know exactly what to make of it, but we'll see ultimately. Uh, Cause I think the day the season ends, if they haven't announced a new contract before, then you're going to see some sort of 
movement or at least like a report that he that a team has like actually formally reached out to him i think it's going to happen yep. and team teams should do that he's a really really good executive who's who's very deserving i think of the type of money he probably wants and uh the type of responsibility he could get like if he's in orlando or if the Cavs want to give him um or say i don't know that either i can't my guess is that he is and i've said this before that it's him and i think there could be some friction between him and gilbert that's just a guess um, there's the McMenamin Windhorse book that came out that they talk about how they differed on certain things like coaching, and there's probably something to that. Uh, the Cavs, we don't know who they're going to play yet. We don't know who they're going to see in Eastern Conference Finals. We kind of assume they're going to play the Warriors. Who would you like to see them play next? Uh, I think the easy answer is the Celtics, just because it's kind of a one-man squad. Um, it's kind of Isaiah, and then what else? Um I mean, the whole idea of, you know, the LeBron stopper and, and, you know, credit to Boston where it's due, they have good defenders, um, but the whole idea of a LeBron stopper is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, he's going to, you know, walk all over that team um, in that series. I'd be a little more concerned about uh, Wall and Beal as a combination. I think it's a lot easier to kind of implement the defense they implemented once Lowry went out and just blitz Isaiah the same way they were blitzing DeRozan. And then on, on the other side of it, on defense, um, who's Isaiah going to guard? I don't, I don't think, you know, leaving him on J.R. Smith is as easy as just putting him on a corner shooter. Uh, J.R. I imagine is going to make him work. And also he's just liable to shoot over the top of him. So I'd like to see Boston if it's up to me. Yeah. I think the Cavs don't feel threatened by Boston. I think they maybe think Washington can press them more because of, of uh, Beal and Wall. But I, th- I think they would just think Boston's probably going to like if they get Boston, I think they're they sweep them. I think they probably get a sweep anyway. I kind of think that's where I'm at right now. But I think they view Boston as as less of a threat, almost like how they view Toronto. And I think they view those two teams in sort of the same way. Uh, do I do you think the Cavs are going to play the Warriors? And B, how, what kind of chances do you give them of repeating? Unless unless um, unless something you know, God forbid on the injury side happens. Um, I think it's going to be Cavs Warriors. I can't see um, anybody challenging the Warriors. Uh, you know, I'd say that both teams are fairly likely to be 12 and 0 heading into that. I'm not really um, seeing any opposition at this point. That makes me think something's going to change. Now I felt the same way when the Cavs got to what 10 and 0 last year and then, you know, laid two goose eggs against the Raptors. Um, but I think this year um, both teams will come in probably, 12 and 0 or 12 and 1, you know, something relatively close. Um, and uh, what chances do I give them? Um, it's it's cliche and it's actually been literally said word for word, but if you have a game, you have a chance. Um, and if you're looking at quotes from even the last series where every quote from the Raptors was about if we had LeBron or if they didn't have LeBron, um, he is that impactful player. It's, it's obviously terrifying to go against uh, a Warriors team that's um, as good as it was last year, and then adding uh, Kevin Durant in for Harrison Barnes, um, who had a terrible series, which definitely hampered them. Um, so I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, and I think with LeBron, uh, there's there's always a shot, and I, and I don't think it's um, a case where we're coming in as you know less than fifty fifty. I think LeBron gives you a chance to win every single game. Yeah, I agree with that I think you need really great series from Kyrie and Kevin Love. I think Tristan um, would certainly be. Be huge last thing and we're going to talk a little mma at the end of this this pod but do you have a th- a Cavs period or player or just something that kind of even though it was really bad like cemented you as a fan of the team or just it was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get through this even though this is really really hard to watch on a on an almost nightly basis 
No, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that and, and bear with me here because I've told other people like, you know, fans have struggled with this for years, but when, since I've, you know, been a fan, this is like late, you know, mid to late nineties, all the way up till now, the Cavs were either really, really good or really, really bad. They've not had those periods where they were kind of middling and, um, you know, you're adding pieces, but not really getting anywhere. It's a very fortunate circumstance. It's almost, and, and I say, you know, really, really bad with the implication that from that you get good draft picks. And the Cavs have, you know, been fortunate to, you know, get really, really good draft picks, um, including the Baron Davis trade where they ended up with the Clippers pick. Um, so it's hard to like, it's hard to say that it's been um, a tough ride just because even when they're bad, you know, the, the sunshine is right around the corner. Um, even if we had ended up, you know, with Gordon Hayward in, uh, in uh, what was it, two seasons ago instead of LeBron, I wouldn't have been that upset about it. I think we would have competed. I think we would have had a good squad. Um, the things that have, like, you know, always uh, stuck out to me and, and made me a fan, um, I loved Ricky Davis and Darius, Darius Miles. Um, I loved that era, um, even though they were terrible and it led to LeBron, um, which was the silver lining. Um, I love those guys, and uh, I love, you know, Ricky Davis jumping literally over Steve Nash. That was one of my favorite things that's ever happened. Um, I just it, – it, it's hard to it's hard to point to, like, bad times um, when you know that something good is, is coming. And then when it's good, it's really good. Um, having been to the finals, you know, in LeBron, early in LeBron's career, um, pulling out 60-win teams back-to-back, um, when LeBron left, you knew it was now Ky- we got Kyrie Irving and you knew it was Kyrie's team. Um, it's, it's been good. I, I can't complain. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's like a really good perspective because I think some of the years in between LeBron were, were sort of bad. Like you sort of had some, some weird moments uh, before Kyrie, even the, a lot of the picks didn't work out. Like Anthony Bennett didn't work out that year before. Uh, and then you, you yeah, but Alonzo D like, was was busting his ass for us. Yeah, yeah. Shout the out man, to Alonzo. Alonzo. Shout out to Dion. Uh, I think there, and I think like the the other like moments of LeBron era, like some of the stuff that happened, like the Jerry Welsh thing was bad. Uh, like the the starting lineup Ooh. against the Spurs in that finals was like just sort of crazy. How like LeBron dragged that team there, but you had LeBron, and that sort of makes a lot of that worth worth watching through if you're a fan. So there's been there's been some moments that I can just point to that like they stick with me because um, they made me so upset at the time, but ultimately I was able to get over them. One was trading Yuri for Yuri Welsh, trading a first round pick for Yuri Welsh, who ended up shoot, you know, scoring like 2.2 points per game on my like 12% shooting and then trading him less than a season later uh, for a second round pick. That really put me on tilt. Um, and when we, you know, which at the time seemed like a good move when we traded uh, for Jameson and were able to get big Z back, um, I was super stoked. Turns out Jameson had nothing left and just got abused by the corpse of Kevin Garnett limping around on one knee, um, which really like, broke my heart. I, I really felt that that team was on the verge of something. I think that was the same year that Shaq was playing really, really well down the stretch in the second half of the season and then got hurt um, and looked like absolute trash in the playoffs. Um, but that, that was a rough one for me, um, which ended up uh, staying rough as LeBron left one or two years later. Yeah, that that to me is like one of my like when I was a kid like watching the team that was probably one of the things that drove me the craziest. Uh, it, it would have to be that I think. Uh, let's so we'll we'll transition now to a, a Cleve. It's Cleveland related, so don't people down there can't get mad. Steve Miocic <laughs> is fighting for the title 
this Saturday. He is fighting Junior Dos Santos in a rematch. Uh, Steve is a big Cavs fan, actually. He actually, where his gym is, I don't know if you know this, uh, so where I work, my day job is in Independence. His the Cavs' gym is like right, or the practice facility is like not too far from where I work. Steepy's gym is like a ten minute drive from the Cavs' practice facility. Like they're sort of in the same area, and that's also where he's Love a firefighter. That. Yeah, it's a very small. Uh, well, him and Jessica, I train at that that same gym. The, right after he beat Verdun for the title, he's at the queue with his belt, and he's got this really tight, really small. Uh, Matthew Delavadova jersey on. Like he's just walking around. It was like it was like peak Stipe. Um, what kind of chances? Remember you get? that well. Yeah, yeah. Just the most like Stipe thing I've ever seen because he just like didn't really care. Like when anyone like thought him, he was just like happy to be there. And he's just like a Cleveland sports like fan to his bones. What kind of chances do you give him of retaining his belt on Saturday? Um, I I give him a really really good shot. I think. Um... I think both Junior and he have improved since their last meeting. Um, it's hard to gauge with Junior. Um, and if people are not familiar with Junior Dos Santos, um, he's a, a Brazilian heavyweight, really, really powerful, good boxer. Um, they, they fought once um, in what was a fight of the, the year contender, um, incredible heavyweight fight. I think it's both improved since then. Um, with Junior, as I was saying, it's hard to gauge just because um, he's faced Kane and, and you know that's a difficult task and hasn't fought that much in, in, since the first meeting. But I think in the Rothwell fight, he showed some really big improvements um, that I think will carry over to this fight, whereas Stipe has kind of stayed more active and, you know, looked really, really good. Um, had a scare with Overeem where he looked like he might have um, lost that one, uh, was able to fight through it and, and stay up. I think ultimately Junior is more toward the end of his career and Stipe is more in the prime, um, even though they're both, you know, they're not too far apart in age. I think Junior has been fighting for longer and, and um, has more miles on him, whereas Stipe is kind of now just entering that territory. Um, I think he'll be able to keep a very tight um, boxing game plan, uh, keep Junior from really landing some power shots, and uh, ultimately walk away with a victory. So uh, I like Stipe, Cle- Cleveland's own, uh, in this one coming up on Saturday. So when he fought over him, that was in, that was the, the UFC 203, the Cleveland yeah. card. In, I was like a, a crazy environment there. Uh, almost as loud as I, it's been in some playoff games, which is kind of crazy to think about. Do you, th- I mean, he, I know he talked a lot about after that, like how much it sucked fighting at home, like, and just getting bothered by it. And I can understand that. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, it's probably would have been hard to book him now because you wouldn't be able to know when the NBA playoffs are going to be around and stuff. And, and maybe that's why that's sort of my guess. But do you, I mean, do you think this, he should have defended that belt again in Cleveland considering that reaction? Yeah, nobody's a bigger proponent of this than Ariel Hawani, and I'm in full agreement with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, he, every, every time, time he first thing fights, on Monday show, your Monday show, like within five minutes, like he brings it up, I'm like, ah, oh, this is on brand, I appreciate it. Yeah, every every single time Stipe fights, and he's still the champion, it should be at the queue. Um, there's, there's, a, there's such a passion in an engaged fan base. Um, we saw from the last event that they were willing to show out and uh, made that place, you know, completely uh, come unhinged. Um, until Stipe loses, I would not take him away from Cleveland. It just doesn't make sense. You go back, um, you fight him twice a year. You, you make those, you know, big events for, for Cleveland. You throw Jessica I and some other local fighters on the card. Cody Garbrandt, also an Ohio uh, fighter. Um, and you uh, and you sell the place out. It, it, it makes no sense to me to, to take him away from there. Um, I'm sure the Dallas pay-per-view will do great. I'm sure they'll sell lots of tickets. Um, but they could have put that in Cleveland and, and done just the same. 
Yeah, uh, I, if they did a Miocic, Garbrandt, Jessica I card, like those are like the three like local people because there's not really anybody else right now that's like UFC quality from Cleveland. Like uh, Jason Dent trains out of um, uh, Menor, but like he's not. Uh, he was on Tough, but he's not like, a UFC quality guy anymore. Uh, Brian Rogers like fought in uh, in Bellator and stuff, but he's not like a UC caliber guy at the moment. He's like fighting like on the regional scene right now. There's not really anybody else. You like need those people to sell in that market. Uh, they, I think you'd be right. Like, I think that would be a crazy event. Uh, just guys, just in like a, for her though, it's like she's what lost four straight now. I think she's like fighting in the summer. Yeah, like she's in that, like a weird spot in her career, and it, it sounds like she tweets all the time about wanting to go to like 125, which she fought out before and would probably make some sense. But like she's in a rut herself. Yeah, she's a, she's in a tough spot right now, and she's going to have a tough opponent coming up. But uh, yeah, I mean, one twenty five would be a great uh, weight class for her. Um, I think she, you know, find your life there. Maybe she can go on tough. Yeah, I, that actually would make if yeah the cut would probably be tough for that. But uh, I would I at least I would guess if okay. Last thing with this is if Stipe was a calf, any calf of all time. And I asked you about this, so I gave you time to prep about this, and I know that there's a perfect answer. But who would he be? So I thought, you know, as you said, you gave me a little bit of time on this. I thought long and hard. I went straight to basketball reference. I was like, let me see every single Cavalier. I got to nail this. Um, I had a few, and I was going down the list. I was like, Kevin Love, is he Kevin Love? Um, because he's a workman, he's not the most athletic. He's in there, and he's getting... Um, you know, you, you got to pack a lunch when you're when you're going up against Kevin Love, and you got to pack a lunch when you're going up against Stipe. Uh, but I think I arrived at who it is, um, and, and I'm pretty happy with it. And I think it's Tristan Thompson. I actually, and I that, think that's the reason. Why I would pick two. Yeah, that's great. That's great. There you go. And I think the reason he's T top. I think the reason he's double T is a um, he's steady. He's super steady. Stipe Miocic as a fighter is not the guy who's going to give you up or down. He's not going to give you a flashy knockout and he's not going to make a critical mistake that's going to cost him a fight. He's going to always be somewhere right in between um, giving his, you know, the effort that, that he gives every single time and it's going to stay consistent and steady. Um, and that's what wins him fights and that's the same thing that wins Tristan every battle he's in, um, every rebound, every every box out. Um, the guy is reliable. There's nobody more reliable than Tristan, the, the Iron Man streak that unfortunately came to an end. Um, there's nobody that that, that is as, as steady and as rock solid um, in the fight game as Stipe and in the, in the basketball game as Tristan. Um, and, and Tristan, too, he's, he's going to give you, um, you – you better pack a lunch when you're, when you're going up against Tristan, too. So I think that's my guy. I think that's who I'd choose. Yeah, I actually – and I think there's like a – it's not the same, obviously, but I think there's like a weird parallel with uh, Tristan learning that he needed to rest. And then Stipe, like he lost to uh, Stefan Struve earlier in his career, who's like a solid but like not like amazing heavyweight gets like you know just gets beat down then he loses to jds and then even against over him he gets dropped it comes back and wins and his sort of improbable like where he's at it i think i think tristan's perfect and he's sort of perfectly clevelandy because i i as someone who like watches a decent amount i mean not nearly as much as like you or earlier like the people that covered full time but like i didn't expect him to beat for doom and he ended up doing it and then he's now like it seems like in a fair a good enough position where like he the heavyweight belt doesn't stay in people's hands for very long, but he just seems like a guy who could at least hold it maybe for like a couple defenses before an Nganu or like a Derek Lewis or somebody comes up for him. Absolutely. And and that's why he's Tristan. It's the guy you didn't see coming out of, out of uh, where he came from and, and just continues to get it done and then gets himself that big contract. Um, hopefully Stipe can do the same. 
yeah, hope, yeah, hopefully he's getting big because he's been. I saw that interview where he was like being very. He's not like a big media guy, but he's like very uh, like not really wanted to talk about the money thing. And I was like, which I get, but I hope yeah. he's hope he's getting paid uh, a lot of money for headlining a huge UFC card on Saturday. But uh, Eric, man, thanks for coming on. As always, you again, you have an open invitation whenever you want to come back. Um, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I it's the thrill of my life. I I love MMA. Uh, but there's nothing I'm more passionate about than basketball and the Cavaliers. Um, I would love to uh, to talk about it more. Thank you so much. I love the podcast. I love Fear the Sword. Um, all you guys are great. Um, is it okay if I give a shout-out as my parting shot? Always, always. Okay, I want to give a shout-out to Clay Thompson. <laughs> um, ever since he said this was a man's league and that he thought LeBron's feelings were hurt, uh, my my life has been exponentially better. Uh, LeBron has just eviscerated everybody in the playoffs, and and I I have to shout him out and, and give thanks for uh, Clay Thompson running his mouth uh, to to take us to where we are now, winning one championship and now uh, another one on the horizon. Yeah, that's that's great. Clay Thompson uh, spurring Le- LeBron James. Undefe- Cavs undefeated since being down three one in the finals. Uh, this has been Eric Jackman, aka New York Rick. Uh, Eric, you can they can find you on Twitter at New York Rick, correct? That's it. You spell out New York and then R I C. Yeah, on so, Twitter. So we give him a follow. We'll be back on Monday. By then, we will know who the Cavs are going to play. We're doing a mailbag pod, so drop those questions in to LockdownCavs at gmail.com or to LockdownCavs on Twitter. Uh, and have a great weekend, everybody. Watch the fights on Saturday. Watch Celtics Wizards. Uh, and we'll finally find out by Monday who the Cavs are going to play. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.